Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Good morning, church. Man, it is good to be with you guys this morning. Excited about where God has taken us this morning a couple weeks ago. Um, Pastor Matt actually came to my office and asked me if I'd preach on Palm Sunday. I've never preached on a Palm Sunday. Uh, It's funny, the ones that everybody remembers that I preach, hopefully you'll remember this one because the only other ones that everybody remembers is Shark Week ones. And so I'm I'm hoping that just maybe, just maybe I'll do something on this one that you'll be like, yeah, you preached that Palm Sunday, so we'll be good. Um, But I am excited about having the opportunity to preach with you guys this morning and share the word that God has laid on my heart. The last couple of weeks, um, Pastor Matt has been in a sermon series that is focused on uh, just anxiety has focused on depression and has focused on shame. And then last weekend, uh, we had an amazing event here on campus called D-Now, which is our Disciple Now weekend for students. We had students everywhere in this building. This place did not look like a normal church building, but man, students were worshiping, having an amazing time, just raising their voices and their their hearts and growing in their walk with the Lord. One of the major focuses that we focused on was helping students understand what it meant to be equipped with the gospel, the gospel truth that would help them be able to live a life that proclaims that Jesus is over everything. And so that was one of our key phrases is kind of walking through that. So for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of landed in some lanes where we understand that that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is Jesus who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is over everything that we face in this world today. And so this morning, I want to focus on the central message of Christianity, which is found, man, it's found in the good news. And it is found in the fact that we serve a king who has disarmed the power of sin and death. That we have the opportunity to live out a hope that has been given to us because of Jesus. And as the church, as the body of believers, man, we have the ability to go out into a world that is struggling and to live out the will of God proclaiming that he brings hope. See, it's that hope that allows us that no matter what the challenges or obstacles or situations or circumstances that come up, that allow us to continue to move forward in life. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, it says, Know in all things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That we are more because of him. 
because of the victory that we find in Jesus, because of the hope that we find in Jesus. And so this morning, as we dig into this amazing day of Palm Sunday, and as we dig into this week of Holy Week that we are to celebrate and see the victories, may we also reclaim the hope that is brought to us. It is a hope that is over darkness. It is a hope that is found in the name of Jesus. And so this morning, that's where I wanna land in. I wanna focus on the fact of how we can see hope that is over darkness. Hey, let's pray real quick before we dig into the word, okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunities that we've already had to lift our voices to you, to praise you, to sing. God, no matter where we're at, whether we're sitting in this building or we're sitting in a living room or we're sitting on the beach or wherever we're at right now, if we're worshiping you, God, may you speak into our lives. May you just allow us to hear your words and your words of truth and your words of victory and your words of hope this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I was preparing um, for this, I, I came across four major events that I feel like really stood out and defined hope for this week. Um, now, many times when we look at hope, we, we, can, we can look at it and we don't always see the hope that God provides. And, and I wanna see that in scripture that sometimes that happens. Sometimes in scripture, people struggle through seeing the hope that God has for them. And so we're gonna walk through four major events this morning that happened during the middle of, the, that happened during this week of Holy Week. Let's start with Palm Sunday. Now, on the first day of the Holy Week, we see that Jesus enters into town. And so the first major event that makes sense for us to talk about is the fact of Jesus's entry. In Matthew chapter 21, verses one through 11, we see that the scripture talks about just this, this thing happening. This entry of Jesus stepping in. And so as we read this, follow with us on the screens. As it says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the roads while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that, was, that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, it says, was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. Now I need you to understand that when this scripture was taking place in these verses, this was the fulfillment of prophecy that was mentioned in Zechariah 9 and verse nine, that a king would enter, come and riding in on a donkey. This was a clear sign to anyone that understood scripture, anyone that understood the prophecy that this king was the Messiah. 
They understood. And everything at this point in time in Jesus' ministry was pointing him not towards anything else but the sacrifice and the cross. It was pointing him, the miracles that he has done, everything that he has done was pointing him to the cross. But at this point in time, Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem. He's pointed towards Jerusalem. And people are shouting back praises to him. They're throwing down palm leaves, which is where we get Palm Sunday. But they're doing this. They're saying, our king is here. Hosanna, which literally means praise or save us. And they're screaming this at the top of their lungs. They're saying, my hope is pointed towards Jesus. So they're laying down the leaves. They're doing all this because they're saying, this guy is our champion. He is a warrior. He is mighty. But I want you to see something that happens here. Their hope was misdirected because they didn't understand God's plan of salvation in that moment. See, there are moments in our life where God provides hope and he has a plan and he says, I got a plan, but we misdirect our hope on something else because maybe because Jesus doesn't show up like we thought he should have. Maybe he doesn't answer our prayers like we thought he should have. Maybe he doesn't listen like we think he should. At this point in time, people are particularly, have this particular idea about what the Messiah should be like, right? They're looking for a political leader. They're looking for someone that's gonna overthrow the Roman empire. They're looking for someone that's gonna restore their freedom. They're looking for someone that's gonna free them from being under this rulership. And so their hope is in a figure that they're hoping will be like, hey, set us free. Almost like they're looking for a Moses kind of mentality. They're looking for someone that's going to take them out of captivity, that's gonna overturn the empire. And what they get instead is a Jesus that says, that's not my plan. My plan is not to come into town and to take down the Roman empire. My plan is to come into town and conquer sin and death. And they missed it because the reason I know they missed it is this. The ones that were yelling Hosanna, the ones that are screaming at the top of their lungs, praise be to the King of King, the Lord of Lords, our Messiah. Only a few days later, we'll be screaming crucify him. Because he didn't live up to their expectations. Many times our hope is misdirected because of circumstances that happen. And those circumstances start to diminish our hope that we find even in this moment of Jesus entering. In our own life, when Jesus enters into our life and we think, God, you're just gonna wipe away everything, right? My hope is in you, all this is gonna happen. And then it doesn't happen the way we thought it was. We start to go, well, maybe, maybe God's not listening. Maybe God's not hearing what I gotta say. But in Psalms 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. He's not gonna let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It says the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. 
See, where is our hope to come from? Not to come from a political leader, not to come from a a statement that we want him to free from something, but our hope is to come from Jesus, from the Lord. Our plans though have to align with his plans and that's not always the case. Many times we think our plans are the right plans, but in reality in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I have a plan. He doesn't say we have a plan. He doesn't say you have a plan. He takes ownership of the plan from the very beginning. He says, I got a plan. It's a plan to prosper you. I got a plan. So in order for you to experience the hope and not be misdirected and not be looking for the wrong things, you got to set your hope on God's plan. In the very beginning, people are missing that the plan was not to overturn the empire, but it was to literally bring victory over sin and death and to free people from their sin. But their hope was not of that. So for you and I this morning, as we look at this very first moment, we have to look at it and go, where's my hope? Is my hope set on God's plan or is it set on my plan then the second event we see it's a really cool kind of moment here it's called the last supper now during this time what I want you to understand this is a season of people preparation preparation for the Passover right and so when Jesus enters into town as people are preparing for the last supper that is going to be coming later on in the week At this point in time, in the preparation, the 10th day is the day in which people would go to town to find their lamb in which they would sacrifice. They missed the fact that the lamb came into town as a sacrifice for him on the 10th day as he entered into town on a donkey. And so as they even prepare for the Last Supper, they've already misdirected their hope and missed it because of tradition even because of routine, because they had a plan. We gotta do this, we gotta do that. We gotta get these things accomplished. But then we get to the Last Supper and this is where things get pretty exciting. In this part of the story, we see that Jesus is kind of standing off to the side. He's already asked the disciples to go and prepare a place for them to take the supper. They know that Passover supper is important. They understand the reason behind it. And he goes up there, and as they get up there to sit down, Jesus is off to the side, and he has a towel around his waist, and he looks at him, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, at this point in time, like many of us would have done, we're like, no, 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 that's, can't can't do, what, Jesus is, what? He's washing my feet? Now, for me, this would have been really tough. I just need you to know this. One, I, I don't like feet. I'm not a foot person. I don't like them. My wife, on the other hand, just the other day, she's like, I gotta go get a pedicure. And I'm like, why? Like, why do you want someone touching? Like, I don't even want my wife's feet touching me, okay? I just need you to know that, okay? I don't like feet. I don't like anything about them. She's like, no, no, if you go get a pedicure, it'll change your life. I was like, no, it won't. She's like, there's guys in there. I said, I don't care. I don't like feet. I don't want anybody touching my feet. So this would have been tough for me. Even when Jesus like, I'm fixed to wash your feet. I'm like, oh, are you sure about this? I'm not sure about this one. Like, Lord, like, okay, I get it. It's Jesus. Don't, don't go sacrilegious on me and think, oh, Jesus, whatever. But what I'm saying is this. It's like, yeah, I'd let him touch my feet. But the reality is I just don't like them. And so for me, this would have been difficult, but for Peter at this point in time, it's difficult for him as well. Because he looks at Jesus and in this moment he goes, hey, wait, wait, Jesus, um, I don't know about you washing my feet. I don't think you should be washing my feet. I think I should be washing your feet. And what happens here is Peter and many of the disciples even start to miss what is happening here. 
See, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples was just a demonstration of what was to come. The sacrifice, the humbling of himself to wash away the filth. And so what happens is he says here in John 13 and verse seven, he says, you don't even realize now what I'm doing. He says, but later you'll understand. He says, you don't even understand that me washing your feet, it's not about me washing your feet. It's me demonstrating what's coming. It's the hope that's coming. It's the hope that I want you to understand. He says, but the reality is this, for many of us, we've misunderstood hope that God puts before us. See, Peter objects. He's like, God, I, I, can't, I can't do this. We can't do this. I don't understand the significance of what you're doing here, Jesus. I, I, I think I should be washing your feet, but you're telling me you're gonna wash my feet. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, let me tell you something, Peter. If, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of with what I'm doing. She says, you have no part with me. And so what does Peter respond back? Peter responds back with a with the response of going, okay, well then wash my whole body, right? Like wash me all, just pour it on me. Let's go, I'm good. If that's what it is, if it's just me being a part of it, wash my entire body again. He misunderstood what Jesus was trying to demonstrate at this moment in time. He did not understand that the act that Jesus was doing was to help him set up the hope that he's gonna wash away the sins. See, many times we misunderstand what God has for us. We misunderstand it, we miss it. We we try to sit in the moments and we go, well, God, I I don't understand why you're doing this. And so instead of living in the moment of hope and understanding that God has a purpose and he wants to accomplish things and that we should sit in the presence of of this celebration and this moment of victory, instead we get so sidetracked with other things in our life that we misunderstand the hope that Jesus offers us. For many times we think that hope is just something of the future, right? As a believer even sometimes, we think that hope is that thing of heaven, right? It is just a future hope. It is something that we're gonna get later on. But the reality is this, what God is saying, no, I've got a present reality hope for you right now that can change your life today. I have a a hope that is found in the understanding of the Lord's Supper, right? It is understood that this is what I'm setting up for hope. This is what I'm setting up to help you understand what hope is, that I'm gonna start by washing away the sins, but I'm not gonna do it just in that process, but I'm gonna do something that doesn't even make sense to you. Now for the Jews, the Lord's Supper literally was just kind of a, was, was something that they did as a Passover, just a commemoration of the mercy of God. It was one of those ritualistic type things. It was remembering of God sparing them from death back in the Exodus times. Uh, it was that moment that they are celebrating at this point in time. But what Jesus says is this, is that I need you to understand that today when we take the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the victory that is found in Jesus, it is no longer just some past thing. It is a present celebration, not a past commemoration. Today, we are to be present in our celebration of what Christ has done for us, that our hope is found in Jesus, that the broken body was broken so that we may have victory. The poured out blood was poured out to wash away our sins so that we could live a life free of sin, understanding the sacrifice that was made for us. See, many of us have gone through the motions over years. 
of coming to a, a Palm Sunday, coming to church, going through the Bible studies, doing the Lord's Supper. And we've gone through the motions without fully understanding the celebration that is to be taking place. That this is a representation of the body and the blood that has been sacrificed, that brought victory and has brought us hope over darkness. In John chapter three and verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doings. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in Galatians chapter two and verse 20, it says, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith, by hope, by the understanding, by the celebration of the fact that the Son of God who loved me gave himself up for me. There is victory in the understanding of the hope that is found in the celebration, the present celebration of Jesus. See, this is what Jesus offers. He offered us an eternal promise that washes away the sins of all, breaking his body for you, blood spilled out for you, so that salvation could be a reality and not just a wish. But then Jesus goes on to share with his disciples, he kind of has a plot twist here. After he washes the feet, starts to talk about it, but then he looks at him and says, hey, uh, heads up, guys. Tell you that one of you is gonna betray me. He says in Matthew 26, 21, it says, to tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. He actually looks, scripture tells us, he looks at Judas when he says that. Judas actually replies, are you talking to me? (laughs) You talking about, I mean, am I the one? He's like, yeah, 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 you're it. Tag, you got it. What we learn about Judas is this, that Judas never once called Jesus Lord. He always called him teacher or friend. So when Jesus looks at him, it's, no, it's not out of the norm for him to understand that he's never truly called him Lord. Now Peter, on the other hand, that loud voice, Starts to come out and says, hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to say what everybody else is saying besides Judas. I mean, we didn't really catch it that Judas just said he's the one that's going to betray us. But he's like, I'm not going to betray you. Like, I ain't doing it. No, it ain't going to be me, man. I'm in this to the, I, I told you, watch my whole body. I'm ready for this. I'm in it to the end. I've got it. He says, I'm not doing it. And Jesus goes, well, let me, let me tell you something. Yeah, you are. Let me, let me, let me, let me straighten it up. You, you're actually not just going to betray me once. You're going to deny me three times. He's like, What? No way, there's no way I'm gonna do that. He's like, yeah, you will. You'll do it three times. You'll do it. What Jesus is doing at this point in time is he's setting up the understanding that in the midst of all the darkness that is about to happen, hope is coming. Hope is present. Hope is there. But again, they're misunderstanding 
Because all they're concerned about is, oh, no, it's not me, not me, not me. But then they have the supper together. And after the supper, they, they sing a praise song. And they head out of there, out of the upper room, and they head down into the valley. And a couple of them go with Jesus down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they go to the garden to pray, Jesus goes in and prays. And he says something that, to me, is one of the biggest blessings of all. In verses 39 and 42, in the midst of his prayer, as he is praying and going, Lord, this is going to be tough. If there's any other way we can do this, you know, you know, we can call down the legions. We can knock this thing out. We can make this happen. There's other ways we could do this, but Lord, yet not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done. Man, the fact that Jesus, in the midst of that moment of looking there and praying, he goes, hey, I know there's other ways we could do this. I know there's ways that you could just make this happen and I wouldn't have to go through this, but it ain't about me, your will. See, Jesus at that point in time starts to show us the understanding that God's will is more important, that God's will brings hope. Jesus even proclaims in these verses that hope is fully understood when we're in the midst of God's will and not ours. But then, as he finishes praying, he comes out of the garden and in the midst of the darkness, Jesus is betrayed. In the midst of that moment of betrayal, they take him and mighty Peter comes around again. I love, I love the, the, the strength and the energy and all that that comes from Peter because what does Peter do? If you've read the story, he pulls out his sword and he cuts the guy ear off. I don't know if he was just a bad aim and he was shooting for the head or whatever and he just happened to get the right ear. It actually says the right ear or what? But he cuts his ear off, which is like, that's pretty impressive, okay? Jesus then reaches down, grabs the ear, and puts it back on his head in the right place. Um, I mean, could have put it anywhere. Could have put it on his forehead, but he didn't. He chose to put it on his, where it goes, in the right place. And in the midst of that moment with the, the servant of the high priest has got his ear now placed back on. You know there's got to be a moment of, wow, what just happened? But yet the high priests that are there that are still taking Jesus to, to be taken a trial, they completely misunderstood what just happened in front of them. That another miracle had just happened. I mean, like, guy's ear comes off. They put it back on. It's back normal. They're like, oh, let's go. We still got to take you to trial, man. It's like, it's like what, what did you just miss? You completely misunderstood the hope because of a task that you had in mind. See, many times we misunderstand hope and many times because we are directed by our everyday task. We miss the miracles, we miss the hope, we miss the things that God has in front of us because we're like, I gotta get this done, I got a task I gotta do, I gotta get these things done, and we miss it. These high priests missed it. But then after that, they're sitting around and 
Peter is sitting out around the fire. They're, he's watching Jesus. All the other disciples have ran away at this point in time. And the denial begins, right? And Jesus hears Peter deny him three times. And what happens here is this, is that in the midst of Peter's moment there, the world puts pressure on him. There is pressure that is placed on him. Now, Peter, through the whole story, has said, no, my hope is in you. I'm not going to deny you. You are my king. You are Lord. And in the minute the world starts to press down on him and say, oh, wait, were you, weren't you that guy? Weren't you one of those? He's like, no, not absolutely not. And the pressure over time, it starts to press over his hope. There's pressure over the hope. The pressure of the world is placed on Peter. And in the moment, he denies Jesus. He does not proclaim him. He does not find the hope in him any longer at that moment. Why? Because Peter was trying to be the source that would handle his pressure. See, many times in our life, the reason we misunderstand hope, the reason that we allow the world to take over and that pressure to come over our hope is because we too try to be the source or create a source for the pressure that the world is putting on us. Whether it's money, we're always fighting for war that our job is the source. Our accomplishments are the source. Our friends are the source. Our family is the source. Our social acceptance is the source. And all these things start to press down on us. And we spend 90% of our time chasing after those things to be the source to lift the pressure back up off of us that the world has placed on us. Instead of finding the hope that God has for us. And sometimes it's not even big pressures. Sometimes it's little things, little pressures that start to press on us that make our hope buckle. For example, maybe you walk out of your house and as you walk out of your house, you drop your phone and it breaks. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, really? Seriously, I just got this phone and I've already broken it. Or you're like me. You get up in the morning and the first thing you want is cup coffee. Man, I heard an amen on that one. There we go. <laughs> I'm gonna keep moving. Um, a cup of coffee, man. I'm that person that, man, when I wake up, I wanna smell it. I start walking on the steps and I'm in my, life. my body's like, oh, let's go coffee, right? And, and for me, one of the most upsetting moments of all time is when you get downstairs and the pot is empty and you're like, wait, what happened? Why is there not coffee? What, what am I gonna do? And so then you go, I'm, I'm gonna have to make coffee. And you know that when you're making coffee, it takes an hour and a half for some reason for that coffee to brew. I don't know why it feels like an eternity for coffee to brew. And if you're like me, when you were brought up, you weren't supposed to cut the pot. I don't even know what that means, but it was like, no, the coffee has to be fully percolated. It's gotta be fully done. You can't cut the pot. You're gonna mess it up for everybody else. Well, for me, I'm like, I'm about to cut the pot. Like, I need some coffee, right? But then you get down there, and you're like, okay, there's, so there's no coffee in the pot. So you go to the Keurig. You're like, I'm gonna fix this, right? But there's no water in the Keurig. You're like, dadgummit, I gotta go put water in the Keurig now. And then you finally get the water in the Keurig and you look over to pull the pot out and you're out of pots because your son or your daughter or somebody decided to take the last one on purpose, right? They took all those from you and you don't even have a Keurig. And so now you're frustrated. So now you gotta go back to making a pot of coffee. 
and you know your day is already starting off in a bad place and that pressure is pushing on you. And so then you start running late, right? Because you had to wait on the coffee. So you're running late, your day is already started, you get to work and you have that unexpected meeting, right? That nobody wants. Like, like we step into a meeting, like, could we not just get an email, right? Like, could this have to be a meeting? Do we have to sit and talk 45 minutes about this, okay? Or an hour or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, my whole day is now completely thrown off whack because I had all these things. And then you realize you live in Georgia where you wake up in the morning and it's 34 degrees, but at night it's 97 degrees. So your heat and your air don't know what they're doing. And you get home and your air's not working anymore because it's like, I didn't know it was supposed to work, right? And so then you're like, I don't have any AC. And so your day's just falling apart. Or let me get a little more vulnerable with you. I already told you about my feet issues, okay? Just pray for me on that one. But you got other vulnerable moments and you're that person like me who literally believes that every car should be made without a horn because I hate a horn. You want to fire me up, honk a horn. Now, I know that I just set myself up for the minute I drive out of here. Everyone is going, <laughs> it's funny. It ain't funny. Okay? You're causing me to sin when you do that, okay? I just need you to know, I'm, I'm confessing that right now. I don't like a horn, but I, what really infuriates me is this, is when you get to that red light, and you're sitting at the red light and I, and I promise you like it barely turns green and you're about to push it. But because you don't push that pedal like a NASCAR driver taking off at the line, the person behind you goes, hey, and you're like, what? And all of a sudden, like I turn into like the Incredible Hulk, right? Before that, I was having a good day, but right then and there, pressure, hope is gone, right? I'm waving at you in ways I probably shouldn't. I'm thinking of things that I shouldn't be thinking about at this point. I'm also that guy that's like, oh, we're gonna make it really good. I'm gonna go as slow as I can through this red light. You thought you were getting through this light, right? And you're gonna go all the way to it turns red again. I do not think you should do that, okay? I'm just confessing right now, that's not a good thing. But that's me. I struggle with those moments and that stuff. And then I'm getting the unholy waves back, right? Those things are happening to me. But I, all that moment to go, those pressures, those small little things start to build up. And before we know it, when our life is not centered on the hope that is found in Christ and it is misunderstood because it's focused on other things, those little things start to tip us over the edge. And they stop us from allowing us to walk in the fullness of God and what he wants for us. It was in that moment that that little pressure was put on Peter that he denied. He was trying to lift the pressures of the world by himself Therefore, we lose hope when we try to put the pressures up by ourselves. And the enemy knows, hear me, the enemy knows when we're vulnerable. He knows when we're in a vulnerable state. He says he's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. If you've ever watched National Geographic, I shared this with our students a couple weeks ago. If you ever watched National Geographic, you realize that when the lion is attacking, he is very patient and he waits he waits and waits and he hides in the bushes. And as soon as one is away from the rest is when he knows they're the most vulnerable and he attacks. See, the enemy knows when we're vulnerable. He knows when we're in the most vulnerable state when we are trying to lift the pressures of life that is weighing down on us, which is why many times for some of us in those moments of pressure that we turn to addictions or we turn to anxiety, or we live in depression, or we focus on shame. And those moments when we're trying to lift the pressures up by ourselves, that we're no longer living in the hope that God has for us. But my question to you is this, why would we carry the pressure of life on our own? 
when God promises to be the one to carry it for us. Psalm 68, verses 19 through 20 says, Praise be the Lord to God our Savior who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. God never claims, hear me, God never claims that he'll provide a hope without pressure. Instead, he provides us with a hope that's under pressure. Meaning when the the pressure starts to push down, the hope is pushing back. Every pressure that is coming from the world, our hope when it's found in the victory and the, the understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for us, that he has washed us of our sins, that he has got us, that he is holding us, that hope is the one thing that's pushing back. We are no longer the source, but Christ, the savior, the king, the one who is victorious. There is power in the name of Jesus is the one that is pressing back. So there is hope under pressure. Now that pressure is not going away, but God will carry our burdens when we hope in him. And it is in the good, the good Friday that we find hope. So the third event as we see is Good Friday. Right after he has been Denied three times. He goes throughout the night and the next morning we see Friday is here. And on Friday, we see that he has taken a trial and in that midst of that trial, he is beaten. He's spit on. His hair is pulled. But I need you to understand the Father's will has led Jesus to this because he says, not my will, but your will, God. And the Father's will has led to this moment to where now he is tied to a pole and he is beaten with a cat of nine tails. His flesh was torn to pieces to the edge of death, but the cross was meant for his death. You know, whenever I think of the word Good Friday, I think, why is it called Good Friday? It doesn't seem like anything good happened on that day. If anything, it actually brings a broken heart in that moment. My heart starts to drop and the, the emotions inside of me start to wake up to think about the fact that my Savior was beaten and his body was torn to pieces. His flesh was ripped for me. And I say, what is so good about this day? This is what's good about this day. Good Friday provides a hope that redeems. It's in these moments that Jesus is providing hope. It's a hope that leads to forgiveness of sin, victory over death that we did not deserve. He redeems us. By his wounds, we are healed. It is in him that we find victory. But then as we get through Good Friday, we get to the cross, which is a part of that day, a major event. And it is on the cross that he lays his life out for us. In Mark chapter 15, it tells us that darkness comes over the world. And it is in this moment when the darkness and the pressures of the world are coming down and the the world literally gets dark that Jesus provides a hope that is over the darkness. But however, he says something in this moment 
that strikes me so hard. He says in, Matt, in Mark 15 and verse 34, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that pains me to think of that. It pains me to think that when he is on a cross, that is what he says. But then I start to think Jesus was forsaken so that I would never be forsaken. Jesus took the wrath of God for me. Jesus took the sins of the world for me. Jesus died on that cross so that I may have hope over the pressures, over the darkness, so I may understand the hope that he provides. So I may put my hope in him that is directed towards him. It was at the cross. It was on the cross that there was hope over everything. It was because of the cross that when he says it is finished, that we can proclaim that hope is restored. It is something that you and I can live out. It is something that you and I can live through. It is something that we can proclaim that God has provided us hope. He has provided us victory. He has provided us with such a overcoming love that we need to proclaim that. It is in that moment that hope was restored. But then some people say, well, what, did, he, did he really die? Like some people are like, oh, maybe he just passed out, right? Maybe it was just from all the pain. No, it says that a soldier walks up and pierces him in the side and blood and water flow out. And then people go, well, what did he die from? What was it that Jesus died from on a cross? And I would like to say this. I believe that Jesus died of a broken heart so that he could fix ours. I'm gonna ask you to remain standing as we take the Lord's Supper today. You should have received one of these when you walked in. If you did not, we have some deacons that will hand these to you um, during this time. I wanna remind you though, that this is a time for the believer to celebrate it is a present celebration of what Jesus has done for us. It is a moment that we celebrate the victory that Jesus has brought us through the broken body. And Isaiah says that the body is to be crumbled. And Jesus says, my body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. Now here at Burn Hickory, we have these little cups and it's got both elements in it. It's changed over the years. But in the bottom, you're gonna see, as you peel that little piece of aluminum or whatever it is off, you see a, a wafer within there. These don't taste good. But the reality is they were to be made from unleavened bread. Leaven meaning sin, un meaning no sin, without sin. But it's also to represent the body that may not taste good, but it is good that it was broken for us. And so today I wanna to ask you to celebrate with me as we take of the Lord's Supper. And as you take of the bread, may you do this in remembrance in the hope that Christ has given us, the victory that God has given us that His body was broken for us.
On the other side, you'll find the juice. You can peel that lid back as well. Within that, we celebrate. And we do this in remembrance of the fact that God's blood was shed to wash us free of our sins. That it is a present celebration that we live out daily. That he gave his life for us, that we may walk in hope, a hope that's over darkness. So as you drink, may you do this in remembrance of the fact that he shed his blood for our sins so that we may have hope. Now it says after they finished the supper, they sang, they celebrated. So I wanna do just that. We're gonna sing a little more before we close out. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, hey, I, I, need, I need somebody to pray with me. I need to make something public. I, I, need to, I need to just confess or I need to spend some time with the Lord. We have a poster over here called Our Next Steps. I'll be over there, would love to walk with you, to pray with you whether it's joining the church, whether it's stepping into a relationship with Christ. And for a short, brief time, I'll be there as we close out. But more importantly, let us celebrate. Let us sing our praises to the King of King and the Lord of Lords. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you so take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.